0: I'm Katie Quinn, and this is my show Q. Q is an interview show that talks about Missouri. I was born and raised in St. Louis, and now I go to the University of Missouri, also known as Mizzou. I'm just trying to get the word out there about what's going on in our state. I interview experts on issues that may have been unseen by the public. This week, I'm talking about Missouri House Bill 357. This bill would lift certain restrictions on cottage food law in the state. House Bill 357 would allow Missourians to sell their food products over the internet to be bought by other Missourians. These food products are limited to baked goods, canned jam or jelly, dried herbs or herb mixes. The bill would also get rid of the current $50,000 selling cap for businesses. To start my show, I speak to the sponsor of the bill, House Representative Ben Baker. Baker represents District 160 in Missouri. He will now discuss House Bill three five
1: seven. House Bill three five seven is a very simple bill that uh, tries to correct something in our law that uh, needed to be corrected. We uh, have a what is known as the Cottage Food Industry Statute in Missouri, and most states—I think almost all states—have some form of that, uh, and that simply allows people to make certain bake baked goods, cookies, uh, cakes, candies, and things from a residential kitchen in their home and then sell them, you know, on the market, however they would choose to do so. So, but currently it was not legal in Missouri to sell those goods over the internet. Like if you wanted to have a Facebook page or a Instagram or Etsy page or something of that nature to sell your uh, homemade goods that you could legally make, you couldn't sell them over the internet. So uh, that's what it did, was correct that and say that if you live in Missouri and if you're selling to someone in the state of Missouri, uh, then you can use the Internet to do so.
2: Did the pandemic have any influence on this bill?
1: It did. I have actually uh, offered this bill the past two years uh, and not got all the way done with it uh, or all the way through and and signed by the governor yet, but – Um, The COVID pandemic definitely highlighted the need for this because a lot of people, as we saw during the shutdowns and all of that and unemployment and everything, uh, giving people the freedom and the ability to make a living from home uh, would have been a, a very valuable thing to a lot of folks. And so I wished we could have got it done last year before this all happened. But it definitely highlighted the, the need for it, and I think people have recognized that one uh, change that we made from last year was there was currently a cap on the amount of money you could make yearly from those cottage food uh, sales, uh, and it capped it at 50000 But in committee this year, um, the committee saw the need for this and uh, remove the cap. So there's no cap at all as, on as far as how much money they can make.
2: Both the buyer and seller have to be in Missouri. Why is that?
1: Okay, that's a great question. So if I had my way, it wouldn't be that way, and you could sell wherever you want. But there's some problems with the um, what they call the interstate commerce clause, which is federal law uh, in selling things. You know, Unless you're a business and you go through the process of setting up a business and being regulated by the state and all of that, if you're a home-based business that really uh, has no regulation, then there is a hang-up when it comes to the Interstate Commerce Clause and selling across state lines. And so that was a concession that we had to make in order to make it legal and, and be in compliance with the federal law.
2: Are you seeing bipartisan support on this bill?
1: Yes. So, last year, it passed out of the House with nearly unanimous vote. I think there was only one vote, actually, out of 163, Um, and so we will see on third read, you know, the the, uh, perfection was done yesterday uh, in the House, which is a voice vote, so you don't have a a roll call vote, but on third read, which will happen tomorrow, we'll be able to tell, but I'm sure... Uh, without a doubt, that we will have nearly unanimous support again.
2: And then my last question, how do you hope this impacts small business in Missouri?
1: Well, uh, as I've mentioned, I think it just highlights the fact that this is a jobs bill. It's a, it's, it's giving people more freedom uh, to make a living with the tools that they currently have, right? So someone who makes the choice, and anyone could do this, you know, make the choice to make – things at home that people enjoy and, and would be willing to purchase, um, they don't have to really invest in, in much uh, equipment. They, if they have a, uh, a, a cooking stove at home and they have, uh, you know, those tools available already in the kitchen, they can use those tools to make those goods and, and make some mo- money on, on that. And so uh, I, I see it as, uh, again, the, the freedom for someone to be able to make a living from home with very little investment, um, and that's, that's always going to be a good situation for Missouri and, and for our economy, you know, so it's going to bring more, uh, more money into the economy at uh, the tax base and everything else will go up in those areas. So more taxes to our, our local communities and, and people are able to make a living. So it's a win-win situation.
2: Well, that is all the questions I have for you today. I really appreciate your time. Thank
0: you so much.
1: No problem. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Institute for Justice is a nonprofit law firm that does a variety of work helping people go up against the government. The Institute for Justice also specializes in helping cases around cottage food law. Surin Jensen is a Law and Liberty Fellow who has an extensive knowledge of the legality behind cottage food law.
3: We are a national law firm for liberty. We're a uh, nonprofit public interest firm, which means that we operate entirely from charitable donations. And those are also tend to be low uh amount donations. So we don't we don't depend on any particular donor or group of donors. We um and we and we don't get donor donations to last for many years. We pride ourselves on every year trying to stay as, as close to our donors' roots as possible and um we launch cases on behalf of or we otherwise defend people uh, against the government um, for free of charge to the client, and that's clients, uh, the government ranging from federal governments to cities, states that are infringing on their civil rights, rights to their due process uh, before losing a property right or losing maybe a licensing right. We defend people who are trying to do something like earn an honest living and are set with uh, onerous or extremely unfair and unconstitutional licensing requirements. And so that's what brings us to a lot of these food freedom cases or cottage food laws where we're um, trying to open up various uh, avenues for people to sell their homemade foods.
2: And when you're talking about food, is there specific products um, under this law?
3: There are. In in Missouri, the specific products that are allowed to be sold homemade uh, are shelf-stable baked goods. Shelf-stable means that it doesn't need to be kept refrigerated for safety. Canned jams and jelly and dried herbs. Um, now, in addition to that, Farmers' markets, but only as far as I'm aware, only at farmers' markets, there uh, people are allowed to sell all shelf-stable foods except for low-acid canned goods, so long as they're labeled accordingly. Um, but all of those foods have to be sold. So, so to go back to the cottage food laws, uh, aside from the farmers' market uh, exception, those shelf-stable baked goods or canned jams and jellies and dried herbs have to be sold directly to consumers. So Carter's Food Laws, like Missouri's, doesn't allow uh, home-based businesses, home k- people with home kitchens to sell their foods to, say, grocery stores, um, but they can so- sell them directly to consumers.
2: Why do these laws vary from state to state?
3: For example, food laws that might make a lot of sense in one state might not quite be as popular in another one so say wyoming which has a very strong uh, rural farm presence has very robust cottage food laws but then new jersey has very restrictive cottage food laws um there is there are certain federal laws that would apply um, so for example if you're selling certain meats you'd have to be registered with the um, with a a federal agency um, uh, like USDA type stuff inspections Um, but by and large um, I think the federal government has has a model food code that states can choose to so for example Missouri has uh, adopted the federal model food code and just kind of tweaked it a little bit for itself but by and large most states have pretty similar laws but but the exemptions for cottage foods can vary pretty wildly.
2: How should a business navigate these cottage food laws, in your opinion?
3: In in Missouri, specifically, you mean?
2: Yes, in Missouri or in general.
3: Well, of course, um, whenever you're going to be opening up a business, uh, you always have to, for for better or for worse, look into the legality of the laws in your state. Now, uh, states... Usually make that a little easier or harder than it should be, uh, depending on the state. But by and large, if you can contact the local health officials, they will hopefully work with you to at least let you know what is allowed, what isn't allowed. In Missouri, if you're selling, if you're going to be selling shelf-stable baked goods or canned jams and jellies or dried herbs, one of the, the foods that's specifically on the list of allowed uh, cottage food uh, sales, then at that point um, you really would be able to start any time selling, um, but you should probably call your local health official just to make sure that uh, you're selling it d- directly to consumers in the way that they interpret that because some states, for example, allow Internet sales. Some states don't. Missouri does not right now. Um, and some states might, even though they allow you to sell your homemade foods, there might be certain labeling requirements that you really should call up your local health inspectors to determine, you know, is, is my food in the exemption? Because nobody wants to find out after the fact, after you've made a lot of investments in, into it, and and also you don't want to get scared by a letter that might tell you, hey, by the way, you're selling it something that is illegal.
2: Right now, Missouri currently has a bill in the House that would allow sellers That's to right. sell over the Internet to buyers in Missouri what are your thoughts on a bill like this?
3: I think that bill is great. Um, so it would allow for, you're talking about House Bill 357, right? Yes,
2: they, correct. You know, that,
3: that would allow for the, um, that would do two things as far as I'm uh, aware. It would get rid of the $50,000 cap on annual gross sales from cottage food businesses, and it would allow the um, sale on, on through the Internet of cottage foods, uh, as, as you were saying before, but still only within Missouri. Um, I think that's great and really for two for two big reasons. One is that the, the sales cap is really just not necessary in any instance because what we're talking about here is businesses that are by their very nature have a kind of natural cap. There's only so much product you're going to be able to move when you're using a, your own private home kitchen to make the food. Uh, I mean um, compared to some sort of large, uh, some sort of large operation, and so having some sort of sales cap like that, it's just not really—you're uh, not really accomplishing very much. Uh, mo- the vast majority of cottage food producers would be selling far less than that cap anyway, and uh, it's just not necessary. Now, as for the internet one, um, again, we're talking about. So right now, when you're preventing internet sales, you're preventing people who are looking online consumers who are looking specifically for cottage food businesses that they'd like to buy their foods from. And so if, if you have people who want to buy those foods, um, and then if you have the sellers who are, who are of course wanting to sell them um, there's, there's no need to have this kind of artificial um, hindrance of not allowing people to to sell it through the internet. Other in other States, As I said before, states that are all around Missouri allow internet sales of cottage foods. Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, Illinois.
2: Obviously, there are different rules in different states, but what are the concerns around cottage food? Um, Why are the government and others worried about um, sellers uh, selling their products?
3: Well, um, so first and foremost, a lot of these laws are passed. I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, personally very familiar with the ins and outs of, of the history in Missouri. I know that they've had you've had cottage food laws since 2014. Um, but a lot of these states, what we see is that these restrictions are passed at the behest of special interest lobbies, interests like bakers associations or retail associations that have uh, have. Commercial businesses that have commercial kitchens and are just trying to avoid the competition from local businesses. Um, So that's one factor here. Now, the second factor, which is the more legitimate factor, is that people, by and large, are concerned that they want to make sure that their food is is safe. And and of course, people are uh, aware that there are different foods that can be, if not prepared correctly or if not prepared in in a hygienic environment, could get somebody sick. And so, uh, so some states might have good reason of at least wanting some ability to make sure that that people uh, who are who are selling foods to the public are doing so in a safe manner. But when we're talking about shelf-stable goods especially, we're talking, and again, shelf-stable meaning that it doesn't need to be refrigerated to keep uh, the food safe. We're talking about food that is inherently not going to make anybody sick. And so there's really no good reason to be limiting these sales at all, whether it's being made in a private home or or being made in a commercial enterprise.
2: What is the Institute for Justice's stance on these laws?
3: So we have a Model Food Act that you can find on our website, um, and we have done a lot of work trying to help legislators um, propose various bills. Um, We've done various work throughout the the state's... um, uh, we've been involved with North Dakota and, and Nebraska, Minnesota, and our stance is: uh, if you look at a state like Wyoming, which has pretty great food freedom laws, which just basically allows people to sell most foods, if not if not any foods, um, so long as it's directly to a consumer, and in that instance, there's an inherent failsafe where the consumer is aware that he or she is buying homemade foods. And so we think that if you have two people who want to make a food transaction and if one person is well aware, the person buying it, is well aware that the food being made is is made at a home-based business and is okay with that, then we don't think that it's the role of the government to step in and say you shouldn't be allowed to eat that homemade food. Well, our our model legislation would allow the uh, the sale of without needing to get any kind of prior approval or permission of all shelf stable goods um and would allow of the sale of of uh, given certain labeling requirements that um that something is is made in a in a home based business and isn't subject to state inspection routine state inspection that uh would would basically just allow for any foods uh, to be sold, as I said, in, in Wy- Wyoming is, is a pretty great example of this. Um, of As long as it's direct to consumers, then there shouldn't be any cap. And then with the wholesale cap, um, you would just have certain, um, as I said, labeling requirements or, or maybe inspection of certain kinds of foods, like uh, certain meats or dairies. Um, but otherwise uh there's not really a good reason to be to be limiting much of this much of this at all beyond and and at at the heart of it is that states and localities especially right now in the middle of a pandemic should be working with people to make it as easy as possible to have their home based businesses and you know there there's different ways of going about it where you can ensure that the food's going to be safe, but w- without, without banning the food's homemade preparation outright.
2: Well, that is all of the questions I have for you today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for talking with me.
3: All right. Thank you so much.
0: Jennifer McDonald also works at the Institute for Justice as a senior research analyst. In 2017, she released an extensive report on cottage food law. She surveyed 775 cottage food producers across the country to understand who they are and how cottage food law impacts their business.
4: So I am a social scientist and I conducted what we believe is one of the first, if not the first, um, national survey of cottage food producers across the country. Cottage food data in every state that we could find Uh, were able to end up surveying 775 cottage food producers across 22 states, uh, and we, you know, found a lot of valuable information about just who these cottage food producers are, how important these businesses are to them, and you know what government can do to get out of the way to let these entrepreneurs really do their thing and, and support their communities.
2: So let's talk about the Flower Power report. What were your overall findings?
4: So we found uh, that cottage foods can provide an attractive avenue to entrepreneurship for women, particularly in rural areas. So cottage food producers are predominantly female. They live in rural areas and they tend to have below average incomes. Um, so these are people who are, you know, kind of, you know, really living, um, you know, on the, on the margins, so to speak. Um, we surveyed producers where they said that the income from their cottage food business allowed them to pay for health insurance, you know, to pay their mortgage, things like that. So we really found that that these businesses are very important for these lower income rural women. Um, we also found that cottage food businesses provide their owners with a lot of flexibility, you know, the ability to be their own bosses, do something creative or something that they love um, and give some important financial support as well. Um, Now, this was a few years ago when the study came out, so this was before we all had to, you know, get creative about our our work-from-home situations. Um, And so this was really one of the most interesting things that we could find where women could, you know, support their families at home uh, working to take care of the house, take care of the children, um, and supplement their incomes. And so we found that a lot of these, you know, kind of maybe stay-at-home moms uh, really do love being able to run their cottage food business. Um, But I think the biggest finding from Flower Power, is that we found that, uh, rural producers are less likely to plan to expand their businesses when their state or local government <clears throat> prohibits them from selling certain types of foods that they want to sell. So producers are more likely to expand their businesses when they can sell a wider variety of food. You know, and that makes sense logically, but this is really saying that, look, if you open up cottage food laws, to allow a wider variety of products to be able to sold, you're going to see business growth, um, people making more money, spending that money in their communities, maybe opening a brick and mortar store. Um, and so it really shows just how the law can directly impact this entrepreneurial activity. Do
2: you know if this was Cottage Food Tellers' sole job or if this is more of a side business?
4: Uh, yes, I do. Uh, so, <clears throat> Most cottage food producers called their business kind of supplementary income. Um, So for some people, it was really just more of a hobby (laughs) that they were able to support by, you know, putting the money back into the business. Uh, But for a lot of people, it was, you know, secondary income. Um, And so when they were not running their cottage food businesses, um, you know, people were working part time um, or, you know, not working at all. Um, They're retired or you know a homemaker or things like that
2: do you have food products in mind that you think should be a part of cottage food law expansion
4: well the Institute for Justice has the goal of expanding what we call food freedom to all 50 states and so that would be you know the ability to make buy and sell and consume whatever foods you want to um cottage foods typically only refers to shelf stable items like baked goods jams and jellies um maybe dry goods things like that but we really would like to see you know states Missouri included open up the sale of homemade foods that require refrigeration or uh, you know such as baked goods that have you know buttercream frosting or cheesecake, um, you know, ready-to-eat meals that they've made at home and frozen for sale. Um, maybe some canned goods that have a lower acid content, such as canned green beans or things like that. Um, so we would really like to see more states go in that direction. We only have a couple so far uh, across the country that have really enacted true, what we call, food freedom laws.
2: Why is it difficult to? get those refrigerated foods um as a part of those laws
4: um i think it stems from a a high level of risk aversion in the regulatory community so um you know folks who work at county state health departments um generally seem to think that everything is dangerous you know um And quite often that's been the, you know, some of the opposition that we've seen to even just cottage food laws. Um, but, you know, the the more kind of refrigeration and temp- temperature control that food requires, the higher the probability that you could get some sort of, you know, contamination and, and cause foodborne illness. Um, and so that's why uh, regulators specifically are just really against, you know, opening up those laws because the rules are so strict on retail food establishments like grocery stores, like manufacturers, uh, restaurants, you know, they're, they're worried about the health and safety concerns for expanding. But so far we have seen states, you know, like Wyoming, who have enacted total food freedom and not had any, you know, reports of these foodborne illness outbreaks that they're worried about. You know, we think the market really takes care of that safety issue itself because, you know, homemade food producers, the thing that'll put them out of business quickest is if someone gets sick from something that they make right so that quality control is really there um and at the end of the day you know a consumer is going to make a judgment about what they want to buy and what they want to eat and put on their family's table um so the health and safety concern really isn't uh an actual serious concern with evidence that has actually happened um so we think that is a that's a big reason um There's also, you know, some regulatory capture issues in the legislature. So when food freedom legislation is pending before our legislature, quite often you'll see trade associations representing, uh, you know, food manufacturers or restaurants or retail food stores coming in and saying, you know, we don't want that to be expanded. And it's mostly because, you know, these established food businesses have already gone through all of this. You know, really high levels of regulation and jump through a lot of hoops and spend a lot of money to be able to run their business. So they don't want other people to kind of skip the line. Um, And you know, we absolutely understand that. But the answer is not more regulation for more people, right? The the answer is reduce that regulation so that more people can operate their businesses in more creative ways, put more people to work, um, and that sort of thing. So it's really it's it's a concern for safety and then also you know some. Uh, anti-competitive practices at state legislatures
2: was there any reasoning behind um, why they're more likely to have cottage food producers in rural communities versus urban communities
4: um so we weren't able to you know specifically test for that why there were more rural producers um but you know anecdotally our producers a lot of them told us that they got started because they were just looking for a way to use the leftover produce um so you know individuals who maybe have a garden or a farm stand and they sell their produce if they've got extra you know they don't want it to go to waste they want to can it they want to turn it into you know blueberry pie things like that um so you know cottage truths quite often lend themselves to folks who are already producing their own foods at home. Um, and I think that might be why. There's also, you know, just a, there are less options in rural communities. You know, um, some of the people we've talked to say, look, if I wanted to go to a, a store to buy, you know, a baked good uh, for an event, you know, the, the best thing I could do is go to the local convenience store. You know, there just aren't options um, that plays into the issue with food deserts and things like that. So, being able to have these homemade food businesses adds a lot of flexibility where there otherwise isn't a lot of options. Um, you know, providing, uh, what's the word, not specification, but uh, people who have special diets, right, so if you are gluten-free, uh, have a peanut allergy, kosher, vegan, things like that, in these rural communities it's even harder to find foods that fit within those specialized diets Um, And so, but if you can go to your neighbor who you know sells cakes and ask them to make you a vegan cake, you know, it's a lot easier to do that than to find a, you know, vegan bakeries or, you know, a dime a dozen in New York City, but not so much in Bismarck, North Dakota.
0: Thanks for joining me today on learning about cottage food law. For updates on this story, follow me at KDQ News on Instagram and Twitter. Next show, listen to hear about news in Missouri. As always, remember... Question everything.